great truth to know that our God does reign. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 7. So during the Christmas season, we took a break from going through the book of Hebrews. And uh, so we jump back into it this morning, into one of the most difficult texts in the book of Hebrews, which is kind of why we broke where we broke, because he deals with Melchizedek. Most of us have probably never studied Melchizedek in great detail. In fact, most of us probably couldn't even spell Melchizedek. I, every time I spell it, my spell checker comes up. I was like, that was wrong. Uh, but it's hard for us to even pronounce his name. But he holds such a distinct relationship to who Jesus Christ is. And there's a foreshadowing of him back in the Old Testament that we'll look at in just a bit. But God wants to remind us in chapter 7 here as he's been telling us through the entire book, Jesus is greater than everyone and everything. And he reminded us back in the beginning, he's better than the angels, he's better than Moses, he's better than Abraham, he's better than all the prophets, he's better than anyone or anything. And in this chapter, he's going to remind us that he's better than the high priests. In fact, he is the great high priest. And so we'll look at that text here together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. Thank you, Lord, for the good music. The songwriters who've given us these songs. And just to remind us, Lord, as we think about some truths that have been set to music, um, that you are the great shepherd, that you lead us, that you guide us, Lord, that you reign we just are so grateful and thankful for all of those truths and to prepare our hearts now to worship you through spending time looking at a text of scripture that you inspired, that you want us to know more about you as our great high priest. So we thank you, Lord, for that. Help us, Lord, to be attentive, even though this text may be a little more technical than some of the other ones we're used to. Help us to be alert, and awake, and focused on what it is that you want us to learn about you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's a longer text, 28 verses. We're going to get through the whole thing. But as we get to the last part of it, so if you want to fall asleep, fall asleep in the beginning. The, the land, latter part of it is so vital and important to understand. But he gives us some background. It says this in verse number one. For this Melchizedek, King of Salem, that's Jerusalem, priest of the Most High God, who Abraham, or who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being interpreted king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. This man Melchizedek, he was without father, without mother, without descent having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. What we see here in the first three verses is that Jesus was no ordinary priest. And in order to help us understand that Jesus wasn't an ordinary priest, he says, let me give you an illustration. He takes us back to Genesis chapter 14. Hold your place here. We'll come back to it with Genesis chapter 14 because he tells us here that this man Melchizedek is the king priest that met Abraham when he was returning from the slaughter. And you're like, when was that? When did Abraham get involved in some kind of a slaughter? 
Well, Genesis 14, the whole text reminds us of a, of a battle that took place in, in the area of where Israel was, of some of the surrounding nations around Israel, but way back when, when Abraham and Lot had first gone there. Remember, Abraham said to his nephew Lot, listen, the, the land is too much for us. Our herdsmen are fighting with your herdsmen. You go one way, I'll go the other. And Lot looked up and he said, man, I want to go toward that place. He's like, why are you there? Well, that's Sodom, Gomorrah. And he said, I want to go down there because it's, it would be like us saying, because it's like San Francisco. Or because it's like Las Vegas, Nevada. He said, I want to be there because that's where all the action is. And Abraham said, well, you go and then I'll, I'll go somewhere else. So he goes down there, it's Sodom, it's the most immoral, ungodly city in all the region. And Lot got involved there, he actually became a leader in the city there, and, and yet his, his daughters became ungodly, and they wanted nothing to do with God, they got these other guys, they wanted nothing to do with God, his wife, you know, was infatuated with the city, and, and Lot, his soul was vexed. He was a believer. But he, he was just tainted by the world because he was so part of the world system down there. And it was during that time that all of the surrounding nations came and attacked Sodom. And they captured Lot and his family and took them as captives. And Abraham hears about it. Abraham could have said, well, that's, that's on him. He should have been there, but he didn't. He said, I'm going to go help him. And so he gathers all of his servants, and they go attack the city that attacked Sodom, and they defeat them. And then they bring his family back down to Sodom to let him go free. And as he goes down there, look at verse number 14. I'm sorry, verse number 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale. So the king of Sodom wants to thank him. But he also meets this Melchizedek. Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem, Jerusalem, he brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. So he's a king priest, which the law didn't let you do. But we're not, this is before the law. But he's a king priest. He blessed him, he blessed Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes a tenth of all the spoils of war. He tithed to him. And the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abraham said, I want nothing to do with this. Like he said, take everything. I'm going back home. I don't want to be associated with you. But Melchizedek, yes. He's a godly man, he's a godly king, he's a godly priest. Now, go back to Hebrews chapter 7. So with that background, it says this. Verse 2, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness. That's what his name literally means. Melchi Zedek. Zedek means righteousness. Melchi king, he is the king of righteousness. He is also the king of Salem which means peace. He's the king of righteousness, king of peace. Interesting, there's a verse in Psalms, I think it is, it says righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Do you realize you and I cannot have genuine peace with God 
unless we're righteous. And not righteous of our own good works, but righteous in the fact that we've embraced the righteousness of Christ through the final death and birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we understand his righteousness and we embrace him as our Savior, we can have righteousness and peace meeting together. That wasn't part of the message. But anyway, verse number three. He was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of light, life, but made light unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. So it says this guy, Isaac, he didn't have a father or mother, he didn't have a beginning or end, uh, we don't know much about him. All we know is that he was made like him the Son of God. Now, does that mean he wasn't a human being? Well, there's some people who think it was a Christophany, the appearance of Jesus Christ, I don't think it was. Some people think it might have been some kind of special being or an angel or something. I don't think it was. I believe it was a literal human being who was no different than any of us, but he was a godly being. And God used him because it says this, he was made like unto the Son of God. The Son of God was not made like unto Melchizedek. Melchizedek was foreshadowing what Jesus Christ is and would be for all of eternity. Jesus Christ would be the permanent, once and for all, high priest who would be the king of peace and the king of righteousness. See what I said? It's a little technical. It's okay. Hold on. It gets really good. Verse number four. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Abraham tithed to him. Why? Because the law said you should tithe. Wait a minute. This is before law. Before the law came that said you need to tithe, there was a principle in godly people that I should give a tenth to God. So for us who say, well, we're not under the law today, I don't have to tithe, neither was Abraham. And Abraham understood this principle. How could I give less than a tenth to my God? And I believe it's a biblical principle that we should do, not because of the law, that God says grace usually goes higher than the law. Verse 5, and verily, they that are the sons of Levi, that's of the priesthood, the priesthood of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren. Though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without contradiction, the less, Abraham, is blessed of the better. Melchizedek. And here men that die receive the tithes but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may say so, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. All right, now this one's going to make your head spin. So God says this. This was all pre-law. This was before Levi and the priesthood came along. But God says this. When Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, pre-law, he said this. Eventually, Levi was going to come later on. And the, the priesthood and all of those who would collect tithes, he said that was going to come many, many, many years later. When God would set up the priesthood, God would set up the tithing system. And it says this. 
even though they weren't even born yet, they technically, because Abraham did it, they paid tithes to Melchizedek. Now, they're going to collect tithes, but even though they weren't even born, God said, I understand that they would have, and practically they did, even though they weren't born. Which, you know, like, how in the world does that even make sense to us? Well, again, it doesn't have to make sense to us. It has to make sense to God. Now, now think about this. We might say, well, I was, I was saved at a certain point in time in my life. I realized I was a sinner and grace Christ my Savior. And you may say, it was back in 1975. That's the day I was saved. I remember the day. Well, God would say, well, technically, you were saved at the cross. And even technically, you were saved in eternity past. So again, it doesn't have to make sense to us. But God says there's an important, specific principle that I want you to understand. That it wasn't all about the Levitical priesthood. There was something much bigger and better than the Levitical priesthood. And it wasn't even Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a shadow of what was going on in heaven. What's still going on in heaven? This amazing priesthood that God has for us. Keep going. Verse number 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. If therefore... Perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, which of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of whom the tribe of Moses, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. So, Jesus says this. I want you to understand that Jesus is greater than all the priests. And, and God did set up the priesthood. God did set up the Levitical priesthood. God specifically chose them to be from the tribe of Levi. And the first one, obviously Aaron, he was the first high priest. They set up this elaborate temple and tabernacle and the Old Testament and the sacrifices and all of that. But he says there in verse 11, if perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, then why do we need another? Because if anybody could be saved in the Old Testament through the sacrificial system, why do we need Jesus? So here's the important concept. If, if, we, if we stop and think, well, how was Abraham saved? How was Moses saved? How was Joshua saved? And if we say, well, they, they had to sacrifice, they had to go to the temple, and they had to do good works, that's how they were saved. We've missed the whole point of the Old Testament. Because Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, and every other person in the Old Testament they were saved the exact same way that you were saved. In the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You say, well, they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the cross. What did they know? They knew that I'm a sinner. God has set up this elaborate priesthood, this tabernacle, eventually the temple, sacrifices, 
offerings, first fruits, all of these things, the tithing, he set that all up. For what purpose? What did he say? To remind us that we're sinners. And to remind us that one day, a Messiah is going to come. And he's going to take care of it once and for all. Until then, we have this elaborate system to remind us that we're sinners. We need help. And so what did God do? For a time, for you know, 3,000 years in the Old Testament, so to speak, God let them have that elaborate system to remind them every single day and every single week that I'm a sinner. And sin hasn't been dealt with. So we have to keep sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing in faith that a perfect sacrifice is coming. Now they didn't know his name was Jesus. And they didn't know he was going to die on the cross. But they knew this. If they were saved, they knew this. These sacrifices do not save me. These good works do not save me. The only thing that can save me is the Messiah who will come. And that Messiah to come told me that I'm to follow through on this stuff as an act of faith. So anybody who said, well, I think I went to the temple this week or I went to the tabernacle this week and I sacrificed an animal, so I'm good because I did my sacrificial deed. I'm good at least until next weekend and I got to do it again. That person wasn't saved. Even if they sacrificed every week even if they tithed every week, they couldn't be saved if they were trusting in the sacrifice of the animal. They had to be saved by the coming Messiah. And that was an act of faith. I'm going to sacrifice because the Messiah told me that this is what I have to do until he comes. So God said, I will accept this by faith, but it was always by faith. Here's the thing. What if I decided, you know, as a Christian, I just don't want to ever go to church again. Well, I'm a disobedient Christian, but I'm not saved by going to church. I'm saved in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, should every Christian go to church? Absolutely. Because we're disobedient if we say, I'm not going to do that. But that doesn't save me. Tithing doesn't save me. Should every Christian do that? I believe we should. It doesn't save me. And none of my good works saves me. It's all entrusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So... He says this, if, if the Levitical priesthood could give us perfection, we didn't need another priest like Jesus. In fact, he tells us that Jesus came from another tribe. He didn't even come from the Levitical tribe. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. He said in verse number 13, 14, he said, Moses didn't say anything about Judah being part of the priesthood. But remember, Moses told us, that the scepter shall not depart from the tribe of Judah until Shiloh comes. One day the Messiah was going to come, and the Messiah was going to come through Judah. Even Micah tells us that. So they had to understand that the Messiah was going to come. In fact, Micah tells us he was going to come from Bethlehem. So had they pieced all the pieces of the Old Testament together, then there wouldn't have been a problem of accepting Jesus when he came. But here's the problem. When Jesus came... He was flipping Judaism on its head. And the priesthood that was alive in that day, they didn't like that. Look at verse number 15. 
And it is yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arose another priest. Now that word another, there's, it's interesting, we don't usually do this in English, but in the Greek language, when they said another, they would use two different words for another. And you would know what they meant. We just would say, I would like, you know, another shirt. You don't know if it's another of the exact same kind or another of a different kind. If I said I want another shirt and somebody got me another exactly same shirt as this, and I said, no, 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 what I meant was I wanted one that had Dallas Cowboys on it. That's another shirt of a different kind. If I wanted the exact same shirt, I would have used a different word in Greek. And this word is Melchizedek. There ariseth another of a different kind. Not of the same kind. Jesus wasn't the exact same kind. He was different. He was God. So there arose another one who is made not after the law of carnal commandments, but after the power of an endless life. For he testified, testified thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110. Quoted that. And so God from eternity past declared, I'm going to make my son Jesus a priest, the high priest, the one that would be able to represent man to God. Verse number 18. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. By the which we draw near unto God. So, so notice he reminds us there that the Old Testament law was the elaborate system. And boy, was it elaborate. If, if you just study the temples and what they did in the temples and how ornate they made it and the sacrificial system and all that went along with it, it would just blow your mind. And then on top of that, they not only had the sacrificial system, but they would have elaborate feasts all throughout the year. Some of the fall, some of the spring, and, and the Jews still celebrate some of those today. And you look at that and, you know, you'll see it come across in September. It's, you know, it's Yom Kippur and, you know, the Jews celebrate that. It's, you know, other, other feasts that they would have. And, and, and it was an elaborate system. And much of it set up by God. And yet God said, listen, when Jesus came, he wasn't, he wasn't coming to, to kind of put a shiny new coat on Judaism. He wasn't coming to fix what was wrong with Judaism. He was coming not as a Levitical priest, but a different kind of priest. <coughs> kind of like Melchizedek. He would be a king and a priest. Under the law, you couldn't be a king and a priest. In fact, a few people tried to do that, and God judged them for that. You were either a king or a priest. You could not be both. Why? Because the only one that was going to legitimately be able to pull that off was going to be Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ did. He comes in that way. And what did he do when he did that? Verse number 20. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made a priest, so God made it promise, an oath to Jesus. For those priests were made without an oath. 
But this with an oath by him that said in him, The Lord swear unto him, he will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much Jesus was made a surety of a better testament or a better covenant. The promise that God made to you and me. The promise that God made to all people. Jeremiah gave us the new covenant. He reminded us of what that was going to be in Jeremiah 31. That God wasn't going to set up a new elaborate religious system. He was going to set up his throne in my heart. And he wanted to be king of my heart. And he wanted to be king of your heart. He wanted to be your priest. What was a priest? Well, a priest was one who would represent man to God. Now, here's the problem. In the Old Testament, the only way God could do this, the only way that God could take somebody who could represent man to God was to take an unholy man like Aaron and any ones who followed from him and say, listen, you're the best I can do. You're human, and I want you to represent man to God. Stand in between man and God, and they really couldn't do it well, right? And every one of them failed because they weren't perfect. And God said, this is only temporary. Until the Messiah comes. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to take away the human priesthood because it's imperfect. It can never fully represent man and God. And he's going to set up Jesus as being the only one who ever could represent man to God and God to man. Perfect. So that's what Jesus was going to A better priest. A better covenant. A better testament. Verse 23. And they truly were not many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. So if you got a really, really good priest in the Old Testament, and they served as a priest for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Here's the problem. They would die. And one would follow them. And we don't know if the one following them was going to be good or bad. And think of Eli, who's good, and then he had sons who were wicked. And that was the problem. When one died, it didn't follow, it followed this chain of unending, unholy people trying to be priests. It was imperfect. Verse 24, but this man, Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. So again, Jesus was no ordinary priest. Jesus was the only one who could save us. And then, here's the good part. So if somebody's asleep, ask me to nudge them. Here's where we get good. Jesus was focused on the relationship with you. So look at verse number 26, 25. Wherefore, or in light of all that he just said about who Melchizedek was, who the, who the priesthood was, who Jesus was, in light of all of that, he, Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So God says one of the things that he wants to do for me and to do for you is that he ever lives. The reason for God's existence, Jesus' existence in heaven right now is he lives to pray for you. Did you know that Jesus Christ prayed for you 
this morning? For me. Why would he pray for me? Like, doesn't he have enough problems to run this entire universe? Our God reigns, as we sang. You know, like, didn't he need to be in Washington, D.C. this past week? Because they seem to have a difficult time figuring things out. Well, he was there, right? And, and you know, he's all across the world. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is all-powerful. And yet God is big enough to pause every moment through the day and pray for you. He ever lives to pray for you, personally. Sometimes we don't even pray for ourselves some days, right? God prays for you. He ever lives to make intercession for them. For who? For those that come to God by faith. Right? Those that come to him, he is able to save us, but we've got to come to him. We don't have to come to a religion, a, 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 a Baptist church, right? The Baptist church or the Baptist religion doesn't save us. Good works don't save us. Tithing doesn't save us. Baptism doesn't save us. What saves us? The finished work of Christ on the cross. The Son of God who died for me. He saved me, and he's able to save me to the uttermost. He's able to save me from the uttermost, but to the uttermost. As bad as we were, he's going to make this as good as possible. And what a, what a blessing. He's able to do that, and because of that, he prays for me. He makes intercession for me. First John 2 reminds us, don't sin ever again, Christian. Period. And we would all raise our hand like, um, I blew it again. That's okay, because if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he will intercede for you. He will go before the Father. And if you confess your sins, he will take that. The Holy Spirit will interpret that. And God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved in me maintaining a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, he is harmless, he is undefiled, he is separate from sinners, and he, had, he is made higher than the heavens. And he doesn't need to daily, like those priests, offer up sacrifices first for their own sins and then for other people's. For this he did once, when he offered up himself. Not for his sins, but for my sins. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity by the word of an oath, which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. This is what Job was worried about. He's praying for it. He's like, I wish. This is back in his days, pre-law. He's like, I wish there was somebody that could stand between me and God. He said, oh, that there were a daysman. But he said this, but I know that my Redeemer liveth. And he didn't know all the details about what Jesus Christ was going to do, but he knew that God cared about him. In his darkest time, he knew that God cared. And he knew that God loved him. 
even, even though he said, I wish there was somebody that could touch my hand and touch the hand of God. What does first, first Timothy tell us? There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful you don't have to go to a priest today to confess your sins? God says I can come boldly to the throne of grace and tell him what's on my heart, and God cares about me. Ephesians 2.18 reminds me that I have access to the Father by the Son and the privilege to go before him. And Jesus, my high priest, he delights when I come before him in prayer, knowing that I can't go directly to the Father unless I go through the Son. And practically, you do this when you pray. At least I hope you do it. Because when you pray, what do we do when we're done? We say, in Jesus' name, amen. We don't pray, dear Jesus. We pray, our Father. And, and in Jesus' name is not just a cute way to, like, sincerely run. What we're saying is the only way you can come to the Father is through Jesus' name, through what Jesus Christ did. And so we pray, and as I say this, Lord, I need your help, but I'm coming to you because of my great high priest. So in Jesus' name, my great high priest, I'm asking this. And that's a blessing that we have for us, that we can come before God because of our great high priest. It doesn't stop there. Let me give you a couple other illustrations of this. Go, go if you would, flip over to Luke 22. Just a couple minutes. Luke 22. I like this scene here because it reminds us of what Peter did when he failed. Luke 22, verse number 31. It reminds me of why Jesus is praying for me. And the Lord said to Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath de desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But, Simon, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, you really don't need to pray for me. Like, I'm good. I'm going to pray for John or Thomas. Yeah. I'm ready to, to go with thee both to prison and to death. You don't need to pray for me. I'm good. He said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny even him. Aren't you thankful God prays for you? Where would you be if Jesus Christ wasn't praying for you every single day? Interceding on your behalf. What happened to Peter? That night, he betrayed Christ three times. And then you know what? He felt like slithering on the ground and wandering away. He felt embarrassed before Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus, after the resurrection, he met them. They're fishing, and Peter comes. And he sits Peter aside and he says, Peter, let me ask you a question. Do you love me? Do you have a copy love for me? And he said, Lord, so embarrassed. He said, you know that I have Philadelphia love for you. Sorry, feed my sheep. He said, Peter, let me ask you another question. He said, do you have 
agape love for me, self-sacrificing love. And he said, Lord, you know I have Philadelphia love for you. I can't bring myself, because I just betrayed you. I can't say I have agape love. I didn't. He said, feed my sheep. Then he said the third time, Peter, do you have Philadelphia love for me? He said, Lord, you know I do. He said, feed my sheep. What was he saying? Peter, you blew it. Yes, you blew it. I prayed for you, but you blew it. But let me tell you, Peter, I've forgiven you. And remember what I told you? When you convert, when you get your heart right again, go serve me again. It's as far as the east is from the west. It's in the depths of the sea. I've cast it behind my back. Peter, I love you. And aren't you thankful that God says the same thing to you? Because we're a bunch of failures. But we're not failures. We fail God regularly. You know what God says to me? Feed my sheep. I got something for you. Continue to serve me. Forget about what you did. Forget about where your heart was and return to me and I want to use you again. And some of us would say, God can never use me again. How can he use me? And God says, because I love you because I'm your great high priest and I want to bless you and I want to cause my face to shine upon you. Hebrews 13, we'll get to this in a few weeks, probably a few months. Hebrews 13, let me just read it to you. Verse number 21. Verse 20, now the God of peace that brought you again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep that we sang about earlier through the blood of the everlasting covenant, what's he want to do? He wants to make you perfect, mature in every good work, to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. As Paul said to the Philippians, the God which began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion in the day of Christ. God doesn't give up on any of his children. You saw earlier, he loves you the same with the same love he loved Jesus Christ. He's adopted us with his family. He wants to pour his heart into your life. He's praying for you. He's cheering you along. He's your great high priest. He's the only one that can represent you to God and God to you. He is our great high priest. There is nothing better. And he writes this to a bunch of Hebrews who are thinking about, you know what, life is hard. Maybe I'm just going back to Judaism because being a Christian is difficult. He says, don't do that. There's nothing greater than Jesus. Follow him, serve him, live for him. And we would say the same thing. Boy, this world is tough. See what's going on? It's difficult. God says, no, no, I'm for you. I'm praying for you. Continue to serve me. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't, don't be like Lot and go toward the, the worldliness. Live for me faithfully, and I will cheer you. I will hold your hand. I will guide you as a shepherd, and I will intercede for you, and I will pray for you every day. And so when you think about that benediction that Moses told Aaron to give to the people as they worshiped, God would say this to us. And think about this. Every morning you wake up, before you start your day, you, wake, you open your eyes. Imagine Jesus standing there with his hands over you saying the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace what a blessing that God gives to you and to me every day
Senhor.